0: listening to An Inside Look with North America's Top 50 Site Consultants. How do I land a big deal in my community? What are location consultants really looking for? Join us as we pull back the curtain and look inside the secrets of site selection with your hosts, Tim Tarrantine and Amanda Harrison. Welcome to An Inside Look, North America's Top 50 50 site consultants. I'm Amanda here with Tim Tarantine, and we've got another awesome conversation with one of the leading site location consultants in North America. So Tim had the honor of speaking with one of the greats. Who was it this week, Tim?
1: I got to talk to Paul Hampton, Amanda. He continues to do great work at Newmark, Grubb, Knight, and Frank right there in Chicago. He's the managing director for the business intelligence and data analytics part of their business there. He does great work around strategy with data and business intelligence. He's solving companies' problems every single day and helping them find those solutions, both from a real estate perspective and helping them analyze whether or not a community is really a go-to community. There's some great insights there for all of us to grab onto. I hope that you take out your pens and pencils and notepads and get ready to learn from Mr. Paul Hampton. Paul, it's so great to have you on the call today. Congratulations on being named one of North America's top 50 site consultants. Welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So let's dive into the conversation, Paul. Before we go too far, our listening audience loves to know more about the people we talk to behind the work you do. What are three things we need to know about
0: you? One, I suppose this is also related to the work I do, but I'm definitely a data junkie. And I'm certainly happiest in my work or all aspects of my life if I am in a spreadsheet or building models, uh, dealing with data, and I certainly take that approach in the work that I do as well. Secondly, I think the thing that most excites me about doing my job is getting to travel places and eat food in all sorts of great cities. And I really enjoy
1: yeah. kind
0: of discovering new locations, learning about them, and trying to figure out what it's like to be a part of them, not just a visitor. And I obviously get a lot of great opportunities to do that. See, lastly, I work from home, part of the new generation of mobile workers, and I certainly after doing that now for five years would not, I don't know if I could go back into an office on a daily basis. So it's been great.
1: I'd love to hear more about that. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go back to the beginning of your career in site selection. How did you get in this business and did it call for you or did you bump into it or were you always wanting to do this work?
0: I would simply say I bumped into it. My master's is in urban planning with a focus on economic development. And I was working with a regional economic development and planning firm in Madison, Wisconsin. And we want a target industry study. First, we want a target industry study for this industrial park that had high-speed municipal fiber optics. And I had to do a lot of research. I think I was an intern at the time yet on kind of what that means, what types of businesses look for that sort of utility. I mean, the site selection magazine and area development and things like that. But that was how I discovered the profession. And then we went on a different project for a large industrial site up in Superior, Wisconsin. And the client contact actually went to high school with high school friends with Bob Hess. And when we got up to start the project, he basically told us he wanted to have Bob Hess on the project team. So we partnered with him. And then I, at the conclusion of that project, went over to Newmark to work with Bob
1: Wow. I mean, I tell you, it is startling to me how many of the top psych consultants I talk to who, through relationships <laughs> or by just life circumstances, come into this work and excel. When you look yep. at your work now and the clients you're working with today, and you've worked with many, but when you look at the clients today, what do you think are kind of those common thread key issues that your clients are experiencing? And what is it that economic developers okay. can do about them?
0: Sure. There's all the usual ones like risk and uncertainty and market access, those those kind of standard business issues. But I'll highlight one, maybe it's because, like I said, I'm a data junkie, but data overload. I think a lot of our clients, the first time we meet with them, they've obviously started some research or internal planning around their future location. They come to us with thoughts on data that they've gathered and variables to consider, but the reality is they don't know what to do with any of it. There's so much data available to them. And it's so easy to get that they think they can start to sort through the question at hand. And it's not that they're not capable of doing the analysis. They just don't know where to start. I feel like a lot of our job up front is just distilling what they already know so that it makes sense to them. And as economic developers providing information and answers to questions from RFIs in clear, concise, distilled business case format. I feel like a lot of times we ask a question and we get back a data dump. They want to cover all the bases just just to be safe. And honestly, like we can get all of that data. You know, it's easy to get data. Unless we ask for something specific in raw data format, give us the arguments, not the underlying data necessarily. If we want the data, we'll come back and ask for it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like I'm hearing part of what you're saying is that the site selector and the economic developer are partners in translation services, right? There's all this information out there and it's the job of both together to uh, make that data clear to the company. Wow, that's a very interesting perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Another thing that often comes up is that all organizational or economic development organizations' budgets are not created equal, and there's often this idea that if you don't have a big budget, you can't market effectively. Would you maybe dispel the myth, but then talk about what can communities with smaller budgets focus on? What are some of the things they can do to remain competitive?
0: I guess I'll give two answers. First, going to go outside the lines a little bit and actually say business retention programs. So if we're just talking about economic in general, economic development in general, not attraction, I think for small budgets, business retention grants, outreach program, accelerators to work with existing businesses probably going to be a better return on investment. But that's not to say that community should be reactive to prospects. So You don't need a lot of money to think about your location like a business would, to figure out who you are, what you're good at, and distill that competitive position. And then in the related business case, again, make an argument, not just document the information, the data. When you put all that together, what's your argument about who should be here and why they should be there? And then socialize that position in very targeted places. You You don't need to do mailers to... Every site selector, you need to go to trade shows and things like that, that focus on the industries that you know are going to be receptive of your message. I would say those two things. Start with business retention, but don't be reactive. Know who you are and socialize that competitive position very targeted, very discreetly.
1: Yeah. Great advice. I think we'd all be floored to have access to your mailbox at your office. I'm sure you receive all types of marketing pieces that come your way, you probably are inundated with those. Which type of strategies are catching your eye?
0: And I think it's different for everybody because it's how they approach decision-making. Certainly someone like Bob Hex, who I work with, who's been in the industry for a long time and has a qualitative approach to decision-making, loves to hear about, and I don't mean that negatively, loves to hear about recent big wins and how companies and communities that come together to solve problems because that's the stage and the level of the decision-making process that he's at at the end when they're doing that negotiation. Myself being a data person and an analytics person, I like to see really great presentations of that baseline economic data. Who are you? Show me maps. Show me that you understand the value in the data and you can use it to create a story, to develop facts about your strengths, As a
1: professional today, uh, with what you do, how do you define success for yourself as a leader and as a professional?
0: Two things. I want to help businesses make better decisions. So success to me is, I think, leading our clients to a place where they feel like they can make the decision. And when they make that decision, they understand the trade-offs and the risks and the drivers behind the decision they're making. I, like I just said, there isn't such a thing as a perfect location. Risk is going to remain, and there's going to be trade-offs between one location and another. I want to be the partner with our clients that doesn't cover up those trade-offs, those shortcomings. I want them to recognize at the end of the day that when you make a business decision, you're going to assume some risk and hopefully get rid of a lot more. But I'm here to help you make the decision so you feel comfortable with the decision, so you can go to your leadership and argue for why, you should be in location A or location B and do it from a well-informed, knowledgeable perspective. And along those lines, well-informed and knowledgeable about the long-term. I don't like having a focus on short-term cost savings or incentives. I think long-term sustainable operations that are flexible and that can change with your business. You shouldn't be advising a client in a way that makes it seem like the future is certain. You should acknowledge that We don't really know what either the business or this place is going to be like in five years. So let's make sure that the flexibility is there so that you can be sustainable over the long term. That's going to be the best for the company and obviously the best for the community as well so that they're not stuck with local businesses that don't match or don't line up with the business case in five years and are looking at trying to retain them or work to find new companies to fill their spots if they can't stick around.
1: Sure. It sounds like a very clear definition of what you're defining as success. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Paul. If you had a room full of economic developers in front of you, and I'm sure you often do, what's the one thing you would tell that group?
0: I think I've been repeating a lot of the things I said, but know yourself. Again, understand your strengths and your weaknesses. And when you present your business case, highlight the strengths that align with the prospect's operational requirements. What site selectors do is not rocket science by any means. And I think Economic developers have to realize that they can approach a prospect the same way as the site selector does. We don't have really any secret inside knowledge or secret inside data source that makes us better equipped to identify a location than or sell your location than an economic developer does. So take the time to understand what the operational requirements of the prospects are and then build the business case that shows how you can line up and satisfy those operational requirements. But do it in a way where you're highlighting your strengths, and you're acknowledging your weaknesses. If you can mitigate those weaknesses, great. Illustrate how that's done right up front. If you can't, be transparent in the fact that you don't have as many you know, community college graduates with a certain skill set that we're looking for. But how can we look at the other aspects of your community to see if you can overcome that? What other existing skills are present, for example, in that example, or can be transferred? There's no perfect location. And know that if we're talking to you, you've already made it to the shortlist. So you don't have to try to sell us on your community. There's probably only two or three or four, at the most, five of you left. So we also don't expect things to be perfect. So come alongside us and help us craft that business case in a very transparent fashion. And I think you're going to see the best results at the end of the day.
1: Paul, thank you so much for your insights, for going behind the door, if you will, to see the mind of a great site consultant. Congratulations on being named one of North America's top 50. And uh, we hope to see your work and you again real soon.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for tuning into North America's Top 50, produced by Consultant Connect, where we're working to bridge the gap between leading economic developers and location consultants. To learn more about what we do and how to get involved, please visit consultantconnect.com Or tweet me, at Ron Kitchens.